So much has changed in the last year on radio. And notice how little has changed since Rush and I had that conversation in 2013. Welcome, it's Eric Erickson here. Unfortunately, it's my show and not his. He passed away a year ago today. The phone number here is 877-973-7425 if you want to be on the program. You know, everybody, well, I shouldn't say everybody, most people have have someone that they can turn to for advice in life. It doesn't matter what job you're in, you have some sort of mentor relationship. Whether you're a parent or a plumber, an electrician, a lawyer, a teacher, or talk radio show host. And one day comes where you're looking over your shoulder to ask a question, and the person you've always relied on is not there. And then you realize you're now that person for other people. It's part of the pain of growing up. And a year ago, I lost the guy I relied on. It goes without saying, uh, every job is unique and, and talk radio is extremely unique and no one ever will do it better than Rush Limbaugh because Rush Limbaugh literally pioneered talk radio. It's like you, you get no better chicken sandwich than what you get at Chick-fil-A because Druid Kathy pioneered the chicken sandwich. Talk radio as a format wouldn't exist but for him, and, and everyone in talk radio owes their career to Rush Limbaugh. I particularly, literally owe my career to Rush Limbaugh. We were friends well before I even considered doing talk radio. We knew each other. I, I remember one, one of the... The times in my life I remember my dad calling me to tell me how proud he was of me was uh, Rush had referenced me as his friend on radio. And we were friends. And we chatted often, usually by email because of his hearing, occasionally by phone. One of the few times I ever got him mad, he called and chewed me out on the phone. (laughs) It was a misunderstanding and he felt terrible. He called me once when I was in the hospital to check on me, called on called me to check on my wife when we found out about her cancer, and he died of what she had. It, it was the number of people who I, – I smoke cigars infrequently, occasionally, in honor of him. If I had a studio where I could do it, I probably would, just in honor of him. He did not get cancer from smoking. It was genetic, like my wife. There was no cure, and unlike my wife, they caught his too late to do much. When I was at CNN, a local guy got arrested in a crack house. They needed somebody on the radio in Macon, Georgia, on a cumulus station, 940 WMAC. And they called and asked if I would do it for a day, and a day wound up being three months. Bob Neal, the president of Cox Media, happened to hear me and offered me Herman Cain's job. Thinking it was my radio show, and clearly I was a professional and sounded good. Little did he know, I was really an amateur. And Rush and I had been friends for a while, and, and I called him. Rush had actually urged me to go to CNN. Fox made me an offer, and Rush told me I should go to CNN. And I did, because he told me to. And, and here I was doubting, did I want 
to make a commitment to a radio show. I was already running Red State. It was already on TV every night, five nights a week on TV. And he said he would never talk to me again if I didn't do it. I Everybody in talk radio owes their career to Rush Limbaugh. I very literally owe my career to Rush Limbaugh. I, I wasn't going to do it. And he's like, yes, you are. Yes, you are. And so I did it. And he told me, I'll never forget, the contract came through. I was looking at the contract. He told me not to get an agent, do it myself, build that relationship with radio. I was at uh, a hotel, the Wessex Hotel in, in New York City for a uh, TV hit. And I think it was a book they were allowing, CNN was allowing me to go on Fox and the contract was there and we were trading notes back and forth. And he told me if ever I had a question, he would be there to answer it. And he was. I could send Rush Limbaugh, I don't know when he slept, I could send him an email at three o'clock in the morning and get a reply back. Only later in life was he slower to respond. But for a time there, I mean, he was like me, an insomniac, always up, always reading, always always at the news. And I remember one time commenting, I had gotten to fill in for Rush, filled in for him for several years. It was great. The very first time I heard that music start up and I was sitting in Rush Limbaugh's chair in Rush Limbaugh's office at Rockefeller Center in New York City, I froze. The music just kept going, and I realized, oh, I'm on the radio. I need to talk. Well, it wasn't a disaster. They had me back. And I was so excited. I called Rush. What did you think? He said, I had no idea. I don't listen. I don't listen to my guest hosts. No one's as good as me. <laughs> he's right. To this day, he's right. So I remember one time I said, you know, I, I don't want to do a nationally syndicated show. People were, I'd been approached a couple of times and I turned down several offers. I wanted to stay with Cox. I wanted to stay at WSB where I was. I didn't want to do a national show. And I was getting some offers. I turned them down. And I said to him, you know, I never want to do a national show because, I mean, there's never going to be the opportunity to be number one as long as you're around. And he just said, matter of fact, you know, when I'm dead, you still won't be as good as me. So don't worry about it. be yourself. Don't be me. And it gave me license to do better radio instead of trying to do a bad Rush Limbaugh impression. And I'm, I'm very much like him. I don't listen to my guest hosts. I don't have on a lot of interviews. You know, he told me one time, I asked him, he doesn't do a lot of interviews. Everybody clamors to be on Rush. So my gosh, you'd fill in for Rush Limbaugh. And if you mentioned it, you would get inundated with people. Hey, can I be on with you? Can I be on with you? No. And he told me this was his insight in, in radio. And it's it's kind of the one that that guides me. If he doesn't interview with someone, it better be for a real good reason. Because he is having a conversation with his friend, wherever they are, and for him to invite a third party in the conversation is rude, unless there's a good reason to invite a third party into that conversation. That person is interrupting Russia's conversation with his friend in the car, or the office, or the home, or wherever they are. It was really insightful on how intimate the medium of radio is. You guys don't realize it, but so when I go out and get recognized, if I have my back to people and they hear my voice, they know who I am. And if I face them, it befuddles them. They don't know who it is at first. Usually they figure it out. 
That's how intimate the medium of radio is. You hear the person's voice rush. He not just knew that, he really pioneered it in talk radio. He was unique. You know, my ratings last year in Atlanta, my flagship station, biggest talk station in the country, my ratings last year while the Braves were going to the World Series were actually higher than Russia's ratings were in 2020 during the middle of the presidential campaign, the general election, and the aftermath thereof. And I know he would appreciate that. And also, no, no, I'm no Rush Limbaugh. I'm not. No one else is. And too many people have gotten behind a microphone and decided that, you know, I can be the next Rush. You'll never be the next Rush. No one's going to be the next Rush. You you get to sit in a chair and occupy a microphone in the same time slot that he had, but you will never be him. And so much of conservative talk radio is, well, I'm just going to sling red meat. It's not going to be very thoughtful. It's going to be the talking point. It's going to be what the audience wants to hear. One of the things he told me is never get held hijack, hijacked by your audience. Build a relationship with them so your relationship can breathe. You can agree to disagree. And too many people have gotten captured by their audiences in ways he never would allow himself to be because he was friends with the people. You could even, you know, the very first time I met Rush Limbaugh, I actually emailed him. What was it? It was Rushbo at eibnet.com. That was the public email address. And I emailed him and I got a response back from someone claiming to be him. And like when people email me and I reply back, I didn't think it was him and it was him. And he, he began to teach me even then how to be engaged with your audience. I, I can't respond to all the emails. I get thousands of emails a day, as did he. But he happened to stumble upon mine when he was reading his emails from listeners. You can email me, eric, at ewerickson.com. And he stumbled upon my email, and we struck up a relationship, and he sent me his private email address shortly thereafter. He, he knew who I was. He was the editor of Red State, and we struck up a friendship, and we got together on occasion. We got together at CPAC one year when he was – that year he spoke in Washington. I would go down to Palm Beach. Never played golf with you. I am such a terrible golfer, and I committed to get better so that I could play with him and sadly never – got up to speed before he passed away. It's unfathomable to think that he's gone. We have his voice, but we don't have him. So much of what he said is prescient. Like the 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 opening bit I chose in particular, not because it referenced me, although that was cool, but it, it was his point that, you, you know, so many leaders in Washington, regardless of party, they, they just want to be liked. They don't want to stand for principle. They don't want to stand for conviction. They will sell out their own side to be liked by the press. We see that now in conversations we're having on the future of the Republican Party and, and the people who get gigs at the Atlantic and the New York Times and, and the Washington Post and the politicians who they want to focus group, they don't want to have conviction. Rush had conviction. And, you know, he and I didn't always agree. We didn't always see eye to eye on stuff, but he always had my back. He was always willing to give me advice on how to build a relationship with an audience, how to maintain that relationship, even how to talk on the radio, how sometimes you have to get very close to the microphone and sometimes you can stand back and rip it down to the fundamentals. He was never unwavering in his support and advice 
getting to fill in for him was surreal. I heard, you know, I grew up in Dubai, lost track and touch with every single person I went to school with. And I filled in for Rush Limbaugh and started hearing from people I hadn't heard from since ninth grade. That's how massive his audience was. And he is dearly, deeply missed. Every one of us has someone that we can call upon and say, hey, I just don't know what I should do. What do you think about this? And they give us advice. And one day that person is gone. And you realize you've become that person for other people, consciously or not. And part of turning around and realizing there's no one there but you is realizing that you wouldn't be there turning around but for that person. And I have those memories, and I have this microphone, and I can remember my friend who passed away a year ago today from the cancer that now my wife is battling. And she, my wife, has a cell phone that he sent her because in our one of our very last conversations, he told me I was not doing my husbandly duty of keeping my wife up to date on the latest iPhone. So she had an iPhone better than I did, thanks to him. All he wanted to know was would it upset her if it was blue. I said, nope, and he overnighted it to her to make sure she had a better iPhone than me. That's the sort of guy he was. And I say this, and I say this, we had this relationship, and you know, I'm not alone. A whole lot of other people did too. That's the sort of man he was. And that's why we should pause here at the beginning today and honor the memory of the man, but for whom I would not have this job, nor would anyone else in talk radio, because he not only built it, he saved it. I sleep well at night under bowl and branch sheets. And I need to tell you, my family, we were customers before I started endorsing them. It's what I like to do. I like to be familiar with the product and like it. And I love the bowl and branch sheets. One of the reasons I love them is because they are super soft sheets. <laughs> got to say that word right. But they've got a little weight to them. So, so you feel somewhat more snuggled. Like I've got some... Uh, sheets that came with the new mattress, and they're so light, it's like there's nothing on top of you, and I can't sleep well with them because they're, I mean, it's just, and then they bunch up the, the man, the satiny soft feel of the Bull and Branch sheets, it makes a real big difference. Listen, you've got so many options out there right now. You could go to a department store, you have so many options, but there's no reason to because with Bull and Branch, you get high quality sheets. They've got a great thread count. They're perfect. They've got plenty of color options. You sleep well under them because they're soft and they're durable and they've got a little bit of weight, the perfect amount of weight for a sheet. Now, I want you to go out there and order Bolin Branch sheets because they are comfortable. You got, I mean, they're environmentally friendly. They're built around sustainability, and you got quality that lasts. You know, a lot of the companies that advertise all the environmentally friendly stuff, their sheets don't last. I can tell you, my bowl and branch sheets have lasted a long time, and they get softer over time. Experience the best sheets you've ever felt at bowlandbranch.com. Get 15% off your first set of sheets when you use promo code ERIC, E-R-I-C-K, at checkout. That's bowlandbranch, B-O-L-L-A-N-D, branch.com. The promo code ERIC, E-R-I-C-K. 
Holy moly. <sighs> this just overwhelms. All right. We need to go to the phones. Gavin, you're going to be up first today. Welcome to the program. Hey, Eric. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm doing great. I am actually uh, one of your Atlanta listeners. Well, thank you. Hey, I just wanted to... I just wanted to say that I really, really appreciate everything that you do for all of us listeners. And I read your newsletter in the morning and you're, it's, I know you're not as good as Rush, but I don't think anybody could do as good of a job as you've done so far. Well, look, I appreciate it very much. Um, I do. Thank you. Thank you very much for that. Uh, it's just, it's, it's a joy to be able to do this job. Uh, and I mean, I, I really wouldn't be doing it. But for him, um, it's kind of overwhelming, uh, and and I know I've I got to move. There's actually news, and I've got to get to it, and I could spend the whole day telling stories about my interactions with Rush. Uh, it just he was he was such a great guy, uh, really a great guy, and you know I know his brother David as well, and David is just a super sharp guy. Um, in fact, David reached out to me a while back and says, "Why am I not your agent?" I said, "Because your brother." Said you couldn't do it. You were too busy. <laughs> so yeah, I, I got a I got a, a fallback in the wings if I ever need a need an agent. Um, David has volunteered. He's just he. They're what a phenomenal family of people, and just what a great guy. And man, listening to that music start the show, maybe I should play that. <laughs> I got my own stuff. I'm my own guy. He told me to be, so I am. It is Eric Erickson here. The phone number, 877-97-ERIC, 877-973-7425. Let's go to the phones. Lewis, you're going to be up next. Welcome to the program. Eric, uh, I grew up in DeKalb County, and I grew up in DeKalb County schools back in the 70s. And back then, I think the curriculum we had was Scott Forsman. They were a printer of... uh, mathematics and stuff that we learned in school but also uh i was in uh small learning classes which they called sld and then the the teachers would have a hard time figuring out what's wrong with the kid so the parents had to take to the psychiatrist and the psychiatrist say okay let's put the kid on ritalin and i think back then it was let's leave it up to the teacher let's leave it up to the counselor let's leave it up to the to the pill to say you're going to control the child. And what happened was I got really, really behind. And the focus was not on the child. It was on just trying to cure the child with a pill. And I think a lot of parents put a lot of trust and effort into the school instead of being there for the child itself. Now, I, I, I come from a family of three different siblings, but this was an issue in DeKalb County, and I think it still is today. And I think somehow the, the kid just slips to the cracks without the teacher and the parent realizing that. And it, then we have this big problem mm-hmm. where you have this CRT stuff. We didn't have that when I was coming up. But that's what was going on in the 70s back then and trying to have issues with kids. Yeah, and you know, it's it's become so much more prevalent now, particularly as the rise of single parent households uh, and kids going to school, oftentimes with the parent at work having to get themselves. It, you know, I, I'll be honest with you guys. I mean, my I live try to live life as transparently as I can with y'all. Our son, we wait. We we've had several teachers tell us over time that he has probably ADHD. 
um, and just with behavioral stuff, great, 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 sweetest kid, kind heart, um, but sometimes has his focus problems. He focuses on certain things very, very well and not other things, and, and just several teachers have said this, and we waited. Several people say, you know, wait at least until puberty and stuff, hormones and stuff can really change it, and we finally took him to a specialist, and we found a particular specialist who is very anti-medicating kids. Like, let's this is a natural behavior. Let's steer it as best we can and teach behavioral uh, habits to be able to overcome it. And uh, we're going through a full evaluation, I guess, in another month or so with him, but just some of the constructive stuff down to get him an exercise, one of those Swiss exercise balls, to sit on instead of a chair when he is um, when he's studying because sometimes just the, the rocking and, and the bouncing, it, it helps him. He can focus on what he's doing as well as long as that rhythm is there and things like that. And it really has worked, stuff we'd never even thought of that wasn't here. Just give your kid a pill. We're, we're a little skeptical of just, just plying pills in, in the kids. And we've had so much abdication of this for so long, and now parents have swung back into the driver's seat because of seeing the failures of the government-run schools during Zoom calls. Well, there are some great ones out there, but so many people don't have access to those schools. And can we shape it up and and give kids access to those schools? You know, in, in Georgia and Oklahoma right now, uh, they seem to be the latest pushing towards some meaningful level of school choice. And, of course, the teachers' unions and the teachers' groups and the Democrats are coming out to get them and to kill the legislation, but parents are standing up. In fact, you know, I'm in Georgia, and just so you all know, on the 22nd, it's going to be School Choice Day in Georgia. Anyone who supports School Choice can show up at the Georgia Capitol. They'll have stuff going on that day about it. But, man, it's the the willingness to just throw medicine at kids these days instead of trying to figure out constructive ways to harness all the energy they have is one of the problems we're going to uh, deal with long-term in society. Let's go back to the phones. Jerry, you're going to be up next. Welcome. Hey, thanks, Eric. Hey, Eric. I've been reading uh, some and listening to a lot of really smart people on the right these last couple of days regarding um, the Washington Post and what they're doing regarding going after the donors on these truckers in Canada. And they're outraged. And I'm like, does our side understand who they're dealing with? Because I don't know if you remember back in 2008 during the Obama campaign, when the guy named Joe the plumber had the audacity to ask uh, Obama about his economic plan, and the press just and the media killed this guy. Who is Joe Plumber? Is he really a plumber? They went after this guy and just vilified him, and no one held him accountable. And I'm like, that just happened about 15 years ago. It's like, you people not realize who you're dealing with, no accountability. So, yes, we're going to take you to the next level. And I'm just kind of worried that. Does our side understand who the left is and who they're really dealing with and, and how they're out to play for teams? I just want to get your thoughts on that. Yeah, you know, Jerry, I think more and more we do. Uh, and the question is, how do you respond? There are some on the right who want to do the same thing. I'm not in that camp. Uh, I'm not going to sell my soul for short-term politics and, I mean, the voters are rejecting their approach. I, I, I don't understand the the people on the right who wish to go down this rabbit hole and behave in the way the left has behaved when the voters are turned off by it. The voters reject it. Now, for those of you who haven't paid attention to the full story here, a hacker hacked into the fundraising portal where people were raising money to help the Canadian truckers and released publicly 
the data on all of those people and then went on social media and started bragging about costing people their jobs who had helped the truckers. American and Canadian reporters are now harassing those people. Well, we're just asking questions. We just want to confirm it's true by displaying these people's pictures in our newspapers and making sure people know they donated. It's really disgusting what they're doing. How disgusting is it? Y'all may need to sit down on the fainting couch for this one. Ilhan Omar, yes, Ilhan Omar, Congresswoman Ilhan Omar of the squad, she agrees with us. She's condemning reporters for harassing, generating harassment, and otherwise probing donors to the movement for the truckers. I'm not making that up. She actually is. She actually is out there condemning them. She's tweeted about it and said it's inappropriate to harass people who give money to political causes, to middle-class people who give money to political causes. She's right. You know, this goes back to left weaponized political soldiers. I talked about this yesterday, and I don't want to repeat everything I said yesterday, but the left started this uh, back during Proposition 8 in California, which was the anti-gay uh, marriage provision that would amend the Constitution of the state of California to support traditional marriage, and it passed. The state of California passed a ban on gay marriage. And there was an effort to undo it. They claimed that um, it was not enough people showed up. Nobody took it seriously. It was a black and Hispanic coalition in California that supported it. White people overwhelmingly rejected it. This was before the Obergefell decision. And in fact, it, it led to the Obergefell decision. The state of California refused to defend the proposition in court. What progressive activists began doing was using the disclosures of the donors and targeting them. Brandon Ike was a well-known, highly regarded Mormon uh, technology guru. He was on the board of the Mozilla Foundation that does the Microsoft, or the Firefox web browser. He got put in the CEO position, and within weeks he lost his job because he had donated to the Proposition 8 campaign. He's a a Mormon, believed fundamentally in traditional marriage and supported that amendment and was driven out of his job because of it. A waitress in Los Angeles lost her job because they called themselves No, no Hate, uh, play off the Proposition 8. No, it was N-O-H-8, No Hate. Activists showed up at her restaurant and demanded that she be fired for supporting it or they would boycott and harass the business. She was fired. Happened around the country. And now in Canada, people who donate to the truckers are being harassed. A woman had to close up her ice cream shop, I'm sorry, her gelato shop, because they were getting death threats. People were threatening to firebomb and throw bricks through the window because she supported the truckers. They're coming for the bank accounts of people who donated money now. And, you know, here's here's the thing you got to pay attention to. Twitter has refused to turn off the account of the hackers. When uh, Hunter Biden's information was leaked, Twitter shut down the New York Post and said it was uh, essentially using things that were ill-gotten. They couldn't use it. They turned them off. 
This hacker has admitted to hacking to take the documents, and the people who run Twitter are like, oh, not a problem. Oh, by the way, here's all the addresses of the people. You're not allowed to show addresses on Twitter, but we'll make an exception here. It's a sustained level of harassment. The left has weaponized donations, which is why they should no longer be transparent. This is why they should no longer be disclosed. California Democrats have pioneered this, going after people who support pro-life causes. You know, there was a bill in California that would require that uh, pro-life clinics, crisis pregnancy clinics that were pro-life, would have to disclose their donors. Or look at the gun registry in New York. The gun registry in New York listed all the gun owners in New York, and they made it public. They, they gave it out to the media. So the media began harassing gun owners in New York, publishing them in the newspaper. I think it was the New York Daily News or the New York Observer began publishing all of the homes that had guns in them in New York. It um, it, it It's striking to see the media embrace this only against the left, though, or only against the right. If the right did this, if the right discloses, you know Twitter would come down on them. We're dealing with double standards. Now, life ain't fair, folks. Life's not fair. You have to try to navigate a world that is not fair, and that doesn't mean you have to embrace their techniques because, frankly, you using their techniques, it's not going to work against them the way you think it will. And the public has rejected that. This turns the public off. In fact, it makes the public more sympathetic to that cause, typically. This will blow up in their faces because they can't help but overplay their hand. But you got to be mindful of what's happening. And you also have to do something that becomes hard to do. You still have to give the money. You still have to donate. You still have to do it because that's what they want. They're engaged in this harassment, not just as punishment, but deterrence. They want to deter you from giving more money. So, for example, a lot of people are buying gift cards now to the ice cream shop in Canada that's been harassed in Ottawa. Other people are trying to find ways to get money to the truckers. One of the major tow truck operators in Canada is saying they're not going to help tow the trucks. You can't make them work. Justin Trudeau is not very good at this sort of stuff. He's very petulant. It's probably going to blow up in his face. They will overplay their hand. But understand they're doing it because they want to punish and they want to deter, and you've still got to give the money and weather the storm. There's strength in numbers here, but you also, you can't behave like them because that's what they want. If you are just like them, it makes them look good, and as long as you don't stoop to their level, the public is turning on them. Wait until November. Wait until you see what happens because we did not stoop to their level. We'll win. And we'll win with groups like Patriot Mobile helping us. Patriot Mobile gives a portion of their profits to the conservative movement. Patriot Mobile doesn't care. Patriot Mobile, they may have given money to the truckers. As far as I know, they wouldn't care. They tell Justin Trudeau, dare to come after them. They're an American company. They are boldly Christian and conservative. They take a portion of their profits they generate by you being their customer. And they give it back to the conservative movement. They fight. But they need you as a customer. Now, I don't want to sell you... 
a cell phone company whose service sucks, but hey, it's for the cause. No, they actually are a great company. They use the same cell towers that all the companies use. So you get comparable service to the big-name companies, AT&T, Verizon, you name it. They use those cell towers too, same ones. So you get 5G, you get data, you get voice. It's a great company, and they're conservative. They're not woke, so you don't have to worry about that either. All you do is go to patriotmobile.com slash Eric, patriotmobile.com slash E-R-I-C-K, or you could call them if you want. they got 100% U.S.-based customer service, 972-PATRIOT. You don't have to boycott companies, boycott companies. Buy business with the companies you love. Do business with the companies you love. Do business with a conservative Christian cell phone company that has fantastic service. PatriotMobile.com slash Eric or call them 972-PATRIOT. Tell them I sent you. You get free activation. Hello there. It is Eric Erickson here. The phone number is 877-973-7425. Did y'all hear about this? The Black Lives Matters has bailed out the man who tried to kill the Louisville mayor candidate. That's right. Uh, Quentin Brown, 21 years old. Uh, he walked out of uh, the jail there, released on home incarceration, bailed out uh, by the Louisville Community Bail Fund, set up by Black Lives Matters. It's $100,000 bail. Uh, the kid uh, tried to shoot a Democratic mayoral candidate. The kid is an anti-gun activist and uh, a pan-African national social or socialist nationalist, some such, uh, believes in pan-African socialism and the like. Um, and he's the one who filed suit or, or uh, he he's the one who sh- uh, shot the guy and uh, there will be lots of lawsuits involving him. Now, here's the thing. Black Lives Matters bailed out this man who tried to gun down a mayoral candidate. Why are the people donating money to truckers losing their jobs? Why are those people being punished? Why aren't reporters asking the people who donated to this Black Lives Matters fund, what do you think about them letting a would-be assassin out of jail? Hmm? People should not be punished for giving money to a cause. But you cannot be surprised if some people start getting punished. Though That side's tribe is going to get very tribal and go after the other side. Yeah, I mean, you, you can't be surprised by that, the, the tit for tat that happens. And because the one side is more culturally dominant with the media and businesses and, and progressive governments, it's going to make the other side even more angry and even more prone to a rash response. I'm telling you. It's coming, and I won't be surprised when it happens, and there will be a whole lot of people, a whole lot of people who get hurt in the process. Either you allow people to make donations to causes they support without repercussion, or everyone on every side has repercussions for donating. That's the way it has to work. Now, when we come back... We gotta, we've got to move on to masks, I'm afraid. But also, new polling out in some states, uh, Republican primary problems are making Democrats who are anxious about November a little bit happy. Uh, also, this is happening right now. The the uh, Craig Greenberg, the mayoral candidate Louisville, 
who got uh, shot, well, he shot through clothing. Luckily, the bullet didn't touch him, just his clothes, says, Our criminal justice system is clearly broken. It's nearly impossible to believe that someone can attempt murder on Monday and walk out of jail on Wednesday. If someone is struggling with a mental illness and is in custody, they should be evaluated and treated in custody. We must work together to fix the system. Sadly, like others who suffer from a broken system, my team and family have been traumatized again by this news. That said, I trust Louisville Metropolitan Police Department to carry out this investigation properly. So the individual responsible for trying to kill me will be prosecuted appropriately. Um, good statement from him. He says, Mr. Brown and his family are hurting. My family and my team are hurting. I pray for everyone involved. Uh, my goodness. It's 2022. Things are still crazy. Things haven't settled down. And now you got the Federal Reserve and interest rates. you got the economy. you got inflation. A lot of banks won't even return your phone call. Let's say you're a small business and you need a loan for $750,000 or higher. You see an opportunity where banks, they don't even want to see you. You want to buy a building? You want to build a building? Reach out to the Frost family at First Liberty Building and Loan. They've been helping small businesses become big businesses since the 1990s. They want to help you if they can. So spend 10 minutes with them. See if you're a good fit for them and they're a good fit for you. Their website is firstlibertyga.com. That's firstlibertyga.com. Again, you need a loan, $750,000 or higher. You're a small business and you see an opportunity to grow. Share it with the Frost family and see if they can help you. Firstlibertyga.com. That's firstlibertyga.com. First Liberty Building and Loan can help businesses nationwide become bigger businesses.